Welcome to the Church of Mavis radio show. It's Friday night, 7.07 p.m. Central. Just changed. Tomorrow night's the full moon. What is it? The uh, uh, snow moon? I think they said it was. Well, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and there's a warm moon. It's a full moon. I know it's been a weird week. My brother had the, the big C and I felt weird where I had a headache for like 24 hours and just weird disorientation and stuff, but it didn't seem as bad as his symptoms or anything, but there's been some weird dizziness and stuff, but hopefully this that's the, the end of it, but it definitely sucks when your people you live with bring it home from their workplaces when you rarely leave your house and they just deliver it to you. It's great. <laughs> but, uh, Anywho, uh, so I was going to ask, uh, we got Wild Trees with us here tonight, and Wham's with us. It's going to be a great show. And uh, you listen to United Public Radio 107.7 FM, New Orleans. But one thing I was going to ask, Wham, what's going on, like, uh, astronomy-wise? Is there anything weird going on? Like, Well, planetary? the only... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the only thing that is actually relatively unique um right now is uh there's a whole bunch of stuff in um in aquarius i'm actually looking it up right now because i've just felt i felt crappy a lot and then the, today or so i felt like some kind of relief but still felt kind of crappy but something felt different so i don't know yeah yeah one. well the moon maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay well let's see basically we have uh, the, the, okay, uh, there are three planets in Aquarius. There's um, Mars, Venus, and Pluto in Aquarius. Uh, right now, uh, there are three, there are four planets in Pisces. Of course, the Sun is in Pisces right now, but so is Neptune and Saturn and Mercury. Um, and you know, it depends on what your chart is. The Moon is in Leo right now. Depends on what you're in it, but it's going to move into Virgo, I believe, before it becomes full. Um, <clears throat> because it's at 29 degrees right now. So <clears throat> anyway, um, depending on what your sign is, I mean, that's why it's really hard to say this kind of stuff, because um, it, it's going to affect every, everybody a little differently. But one thing that a lot of people have been experiencing with this is um, because Pluto has been uh, has been in Capricorn, and that's been uh, really tough for a lot of people. It's been really um, challenging. Uh, I mean, I know that for myself in this past year, because I have such a lot of Capricorn in my chart, <laughs> even though I'm not a Capricorn, um, it. I, I've, I've experienced a lot of physical problems, which I don't usually have. And so it's, it's forced me to slow down. It's forced me to, to pay more attention to, you know, my diet, to what I'm doing with my life. Um, and it's also forced a kind of reckoning with, um, with relationships. You know, Mars has been in Capricorn and Venus has been in Capricorn too. So all of those three planets have just moved into Aquarius. And so a lot of people have felt a kind of lightning, you know, a mm -hmm. sense of, of things lightening up a little bit. 
<laughs> maybe maybe um, getting a sense of clarification about what their true values are in certain areas of life, particularly areas of relationship or um, community or uh, or even just sort of health related things. Um, I know a lot of people who, like, for example, I have two friends, two separate friends who this year were both diagnosed with terminal conditions. And, um, and they're both younger than I am. And I've known both of them for a really, really long time. And it's been very, very difficult, you know, to just sort of handle that kind of thing. Um, and I know a lot of other people who've, who've had, who've been experiencing deaths and, and transitions like that. Both my parent, my father actually has been diagnosed with a terminal condition as well. And my mom just very, very suddenly over the summer, um, evidenced, um, a very rapidly progressing and it is, a, it has progressed very rapidly, a very rapidly progressing dementia. It happened very suddenly. So both of my parents in different ways are on their way out. And even though I'm not close to either one of them, um, you know, that's still a transition. Um, so, so a lot of people, I think when things moved into Aquarius, they were feeling maybe <laughs> a little more clarity about what's important to them about stuff like that. If that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I've, I've felt a little relief. less pressure, I guess. It's funny because uh, uh, the place I work, I have to put up some kind of right-wing lunatics there to, as fodder for everyone to look at. Like uh, I give content there, but there's this Benjamin Fulford guy and he, you know, some of what he says may be true. I don't know. I wasn't there, but nonetheless, it's probably kooky too. But he said something about the, the satellites were shot down that are attacking us from space from like, I don't know if he said Chinese, China did it or something. But it was just funny because someone just said they stopped blasting you with them microwaves. So I guess that's the new right wing talking point. <laughs> the Roseanne podcast next this week coming up or whatever. But both sides suck. So I'm not taking any sides. But uh, anywho, I, I just saw someone said that and I laughed. But Wild Trees, what have you been up to? It's good to have you back. You're always an enigma. Good to have you here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me back and for asking me. I always have a good time here. Um, well, I moved recently to the country, so I'm in this cabin now, wooden cabin in the country. I live next to a big lake. Uh, the, the name of the city I'm staying in is, uh, please don't dox me, Texas. That's the name of the city. It's also called, uh, it's got another name, the city. It's called, uh, I don't want anybody to stalk me, Texas, but it's a really cool place. I like it. <laughs> Is it, the evil dead, is it the evil dead cabin? Yeah, yeah. There, uh, it is not the evil dead cabin, but <laughs> it is an evil dead cabin in, in that there are is evil dead in the cabin, if that makes any sense. And, <laughs> I, and I'm happy about that, but for the record. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what's been going on with some uh, creatures or animals? Anything new? You still got the little water bears and stuff? Little yeah. Oh, you have water bears? Yeah. Oh God, that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Te water bears are worldwide species. So technically, wherever whoever's listening to this right now, probably even if you're in Antarctica, wherever you are in the world, there's probably water bears very close to you. Now don't panic. I'm not trying to scare anybody. 
Okay. Water bears are microscopic. They're harmless to humans. The species we've discovered so far, I'll put that out there. Maybe there are some harmful ones. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's there's water bears everywhere. So you guys, um, there's water. Oh, bears I'm right sure we have them. I just haven't. I, we haven't. I've managed to find any yet, but I'm sure that we we have plenty of moss and things that they would be on here. We just have. How do you see them? You have to have like an <clears throat> instrument, don't you? You have like your something? microscope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I went to. Okay, so they are microscopic, meaning you need an instrument called a microscope to see them meaning they are very small. But but one time I went to Flathead Lake in Montana, the Flathead Lake Research Station, and uh, they let me collect moss just around their compound. I was there for another reason. And I found this species of red tardigrade that is actually visible with the naked eye because I could see I mean, I put it on a slide and it's like, OK, I mean, I could, it just looked like a little red dot. But I technically could see him without the naked with the naked. So he was <laughs> that big. Vision. It was that big. Yeah, and I have really bad vision, but um, but yeah, the majority of them are microscopic, but it's really not that hard to um, to look at them. It's not that expensive either. I mean, oh no, you would have they're, to buy they're... a microscope, but a microscope, <sighs> if you invest in a microscope, it's basically like investing in a PlayStation Five. It's probably cheaper. Yeah, well, we have a microscope. It's just we've right. looked for them before. We just have not yet found the sample that contains them. I'm sure we okay. have them. Okay, you know? I can tell. I can give you some tips. <laughs> To the world on how to collect tardigrades. Well, the first thing you got to do is I would buy. Mm, I would I would go to eBay and I would buy a slide microscope. Um, just try to find one that's at least a hundred x. Give one that has good reviews. Um, or you could get a compound microscope or a dissecting microscope that has maybe like yeah a hundred magnification at least. But anyway. The bare basics of getting water bears, I would probably start with moss and lichen. Mm -hmm. So I would go outside. It's really good if you go out when it rains, right after it rains, because a lot of these trees and bark and sidewalks have moss and lichen on them, but they're very dull usually because they dry up. But when mm -hmm. it rains, they fill up with water and they're super colorful. So next time you're outside after a rain, like look at the trees, look at the sidewalks. You should see brighter greens than you normally do. And that's what moss is. Uh, it's basically soaking up. Uh, but yeah, moss itself, I'm, I'm talking about two different types of organisms, moss and lichen. Moss is a primitive plant. So it's technically a plant. Mm -hmm. It's primitive. It's, it's very, very old. It's one of our, our oldest plants we've ever had. They're not very, um, I mean, they're small. You know, they kind of crawl on things. They crawl on the side of things. But they actually contain a rainforest worth of alien type creatures. Alien in that they're totally different than what we're used to. And it's like a rainforest in there. It's like there's so many different varieties. You have your animals that are the equivalent of a tiger or a top predator. You have your like smaller animals down there, the equivalent of a deer or like uh, a rabbit. It's crazy. But you get this moss and lichen. Then you soak it in water. Just tap water will do. Okay. And this is what I do. Then I try really hard to put it like in a, in a beaker. So let's say you have a beaker or a, a cup, right? You have a, a coffee cup. So you put the water and the lichen there, right? Okay, I would rest the coffee cup so that there's a V in the shape of a V because these tardigrades will, will they'll, they'll drop down. They don't float, so they'll sink to the bottom. So what you want to do is you want all that water to be concentrated in one little valley in the V. So get your cup, coffee, coffee cup, fill it with water, put your moss in it, tilt it, you know, balance it so there's a V, like a little valley, like a really like a trench. Mm -hmm. and then you get your pipettes, <laughs> little instrument <clears throat> which is long with a suction cup. And you yeah. stick the pipettes 
in the trench. You stick it right in the in down it because everything's gonna just fall in there after 10 minutes. And then you get that sample and you put it under your microscope, a couple of drops. And that's what you do to, to maximize uh, your likelihood of finding not just tardigrades, but finding rotifers. Um, well, nematodes. we have found tons of rotifers. Oh, rotifers tons. are awesome. Aren't they crazy? Aren't they crazy? They're just the craziest. Yeah, they're, my, my partner is, he, he, rotifers are, in fact, his, um, his LLC for, oh, for really? real, real estate is rotifers. Oh, my goodness. He loves rotifers. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he loves rotifers. And what well, is a rotifer exactly? What is, another, what is, it's another type of, tell him, it's another type of microscopic. Ma'am, I want you to do it. I talked about water bears. I want to hear you talk about rotifers now. I don't know that much about them. I, I, know, know about I, them? I, I recognize them when I see them, but I don't yeah. what do they look know like? much about them. Okay. okay, okay, okay. So they're microscopic animals, okay? They're microscopic, so you'll find them in the exact same samples that I'm talking about water bears, Okay. Um, they're their own type of organism. They're so it, they're just like tardigrades, kind of. That they're their own major group of animals. You know, they're not. They're very different than other types of life. Uh, there's two main types. One of them is kind of like whatever. It's interesting. The other one's like a super predator. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Uh -oh. <laughs> the, yeah. The the normal one that's not a super predator. Well, what does it look like? To me, it looks like an eggplant. Like an eggplant <laughs> with, with two little legs at the bottom. Yeah, sorta. Yeah. And then the of course, when you say eggplant, of course, I'm thinking of the emoji. But <laughs> hey, if what that helps people work. Imagine what that. happens if these things get on you, like on you. Oh, they're they're tiny. They're they won't hurt you. They're too well, small. They on you. They nest you. on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. I don't know. I don't know if you should eat tons of them, but you know, they don't <laughs> hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I will say. I, I would say. I, I I'm guessing. My hypothesis is that humans and rotifers hardly ever intersect, unless one of them is trying to get close to the other one. Like I'm trying right. to get close to one. That's what I would say. We just don't intersect that much. Um, they, they move around like little, like an inchworm. You've seen an inchworm, you know how it like yeah. goes like this. That's what rotifers move around like. Okay, they're kind of dopey. Now, here's the badass one. This is the predator one. You know, this is like the Terminator predator version. So you take all of that, right? But now this thing can swim like crazy, like a torpedo, anywhere it wants to, like Superman underwater. Remember, these are all underwater animals. Even though yeah. you find them in moss and lichen outside your house, you may be saying, well, I don't live outdoors. I don't live underwater. How are these water animals living here? Well, what happens is that they go, these animals go into a state of suspended animation when it's dry, when it's not raining. So they're still there. They're still alive, but they're in suspended animation, like the movie Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, and the sequel, Aliens, directed by James Cameron. That's what they do. But then when it rains... You know, all those environments, that moss, I was talking about, I like it, it plumps up and it retains the water like a sponge and they come to life. So this predatory rotifer can fly around and zig around. Imagine like a shark, a super agile shark. And then here's the other thing, okay? Its mouth is open. It's got two jigsaws constantly spinning, like two like jigsaw blades. That's its mouth, basically. And so it just runs into things with its, its chainsaw mouth. It's pretty wow. cool. So, aren't, that, you, aren't you glad it's microscopic? Exactly. What if it was the size of a shark? We'd be screwed. Yeah, I know. I know. I know that Noah Hawley guy that did uh, that Legion X Men weird show that was on FX and that uh, Fargo show is pretty decent with the Coen Brothers executive producing. He's doing a whole alien prequel show that he's working oh. on. It's supposed to be like a prequel show. That should be pretty weird. He's pretty does some pretty weird stuff. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I could talk about alien for a little bit if we're going to go on this tangent. We're still talking about biology, though. So, um, yeah. let's talk about the xenomorph alien from the Aliens franchise. So, the xenomorph, I think, is the name we give it. Okay, it's interesting because it's an organism that goes through a metamorphosis. So, lots of animals go through metamorphosis, like uh, insects. That's one of the main things I study. They go through a complete or incomplete metamorphosis. A complete metamorphosis is one way of thinking about it is like the, the, the newborn species looks nothing like the adult. So a caterpillar doesn't look like a butterfly. That's complete metamorphosis. There's another thing called incomplete metamorphosis. And that means that the young just looks like a smaller version of the adults. Okay, think about this. Baby grasshopper. When I tell you baby grasshopper, what do you imagine? It's just a smaller grasshopper. There is no larval form. So that's incomplete metamorphosis so the the creature in the alien franchise the xenomorph is, a, is an organism that undergoes complete metamorphosis because it starts off as an egg uh then a face crawler that sticks to someone's face impregnates them with the next oh. stage of life which bursts out of the chest and then this becomes an adult worker and there's also a queen version of this so but i just described those are workers although it could also be a queen they have a queen and the queen is very similar to the way that bees have queens and ants have a queen it's, it's a very efficient structure for a species i'll say that humans i don't think we could ever do it i mean we've tried it i feel like certain forms of government are kind of like the insect model that ants have and bees have it just doesn't work for us because we're not bees we're not ants now the, the death thing right so i was taking this class in college it was about parasites and my professor who's also my mentor she's a parasitologist so she studies parasites. So the first year of class, I had a question for her, and I asked her, um, you know, the xenomorph from the Alien franchise. I was like, is that a parasite? You know, is that the? Because it seems like a parasite, right? You're like, it's getting in our chest, it's bursting out our chest, it's killing us violently. No. Sounds like a, <laughs> like a like a parasite. Well, if you if you've seen the HG, right now, if you've seen the Giger stuff, it's a penis. The HG yeah. Giger stuff, the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's head is shaped like a penis. Another tangent on this tangent, this same parasite professor, she studies a parasite that lives in the guts of insects. It's called a, um, oh, dude, I can't believe I just blanked on what it's called. A Gregorin. It's called a Gregorin. And it just looks like a penis. That's all I want to say about that. Um, so then <laughs> the xenomorph, okay, is it a parasite because it's bursting out of our chest? It's killing us. You know, parasites sound like they hurt us, right? Well, no, they're not actually. So I could definitively tell you right now that if you run across a xenomorph, um, it's not a parasite. That might help you. Maybe not. Uh, a parasite does not want to kill its host. It depends on okay? its host. It's, it's not beneficial, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you have an example of a species that wants to kill its, uh, its host? I don't um, well, I know I mean, that there there are there are some parasites that may accidentally kill their hosts. Uh, that's you know, true. Depending, yeah, so, so, uh, like so bot flies, parasites... bot flies can do that accidentally. Yeah, yeah. It's especially if a particular so bot, especially if a particular bot fly, um, uh, you, you know that 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 focuses on a particular species. But say they get attached to a member of a different species um, just by accident or whatever, sometimes that can cause real harm to that host because 
they're, I think it's probably they're biologically accustomed to a certain anatomy or something and the other. And so they're in a different anatomy, you know, they'll go through their life cycle, but they'll harm their host accidentally because of that. What about I just hate bot flies. I had an experience a couple of years ago with one, not in me. But uh, yeah, no, I our, our cat brought in our cat brought in a, a mouse, and and uh, uh -huh. she ate all of it. It was a little mouse, and she ate all of it except the butt, like the rear end of it. And she left that. And sometimes she does that anyway. She just like leaves some part of it. Yeah. Well, I noticed it that the butt was there, and then I noticed that there was this thing coming out of it, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" Is that a bot fly? And lo and behold, I had no idea. But there is a spe couple species of bot fly that are native to the Northeast, and they principally prey on small rodents and squirrels. I mean, those that's are their principal ways of you know um, targets. And I, and I just freaked out because I have this fear of bot flies <laughs> that goes back to some kind of like a documentary I saw about them you know, about bot flies and like, I guess it was Africa or something. And so people were like pulling you know, like these worms out of people's faces and shit, you know, it just grossed me out. I had such a visceral reaction to it. I started screaming and running, running around the house, which is not normal behavior for me at all. I don't normally have that kind of a, kind of a ick response, but it just freaked me out. So when you say parasite, I think bot fly. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very unpleasant. Um, but yeah, so so parasites, they can and they do kill their hosts, but it's not their intention. It's not part of their game plan. The only reason I say that is because there's another type of organism that does kill their host. It's called a parasitoid. So there's this whole other yes. branch of organisms, and they specifically kill their host. And it's not yeah. a parasite technically, a parasitoid. And that's what the xenomorph is. A parasitoid, an alien parasitoid. Yeah, well, those are like, yeah, those, like those, um, those wasps that lay their larva inside a certain like um, hornworm, uh, tomato hornworm caterpillars. Right. And, uh, exactly. and so yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, ba the babies eat them from the inside. I've, I've actually seen that in action <laughs> in person. It's, it's, it's not that I'm a big fan of tomato hornworms, Grant, you know, give it, but it's pretty intense to watch. An animal get paralyzed and consumed from the inside. It's pretty gross. Parasites uh, are very interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask if we're going to talk about some of the zombie ones that turn like an insect oh, into yeah. a zombie. Some of those. We want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, like I, I do know ants. that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like those ants turns the ants into zombies <clears throat> makes them makes them crawl up crawl up to the ends of uh, to the ends of grass and st stand there and waiting to be eaten by passing cows <laughs> you know who consume them as so that it can continue its life cycle i don't even remember what parasite it is <laughs> yeah i believe it's a fungus who um, attacks insects and spiders yeah, basically, it's very... that's what it does. It 
it disfigures them and it also kills them. I, I can look up the name of it real fast. Now, this is really, I think this got popular recently in uh, pop culture. Is the internet locking up some? Uh, his might be. Yeah. His seems uh, to his seems to be. There may be some small. internet internet weirdness with uh wild trees. Yeah, I was I trying know. to I was trying to look up the name of the I was trying to look up the name of the of the parasite on my phone, but then I'm using that phone's hotspot for my internet, so it was just too much too much data. But um <laughs> too, too much data. <laughs> But yeah, in the movie The Last of Us, there's basically that the show The Last of Us is based on this fungus that really does kill spiders and insects. It really disfigures them. And what's interesting about that is that I, well, what's interesting about zombies in general, we're talking about this parasite and how it affects other animals. And then we're talking about the show, how it takes the idea of this parasite and it applies it to humans and how it makes them zombies. Well, Zombies are a big thing in culture, in popular culture. Why do we keep talking about it? Why does this scare us? Is there any possibility it could actually happen? I mean, those are the things that I think about. And for the last one, I will say, yes, I think it could happen to humans. I think it's already started happening. Like, I don't think a human has become a zombie yet, but I think the early steps have begun for this illness to cause a mass zombie thing in humans. So this is a real thing that is actually concerning to me. Um, it's a type of disease called a uh, prion disease. Uh, uh prion yeah. Disease. Oh my God. Those terrify me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Prion diseases are interesting because they actually, the, the way the disease works is the same way a zombie works, you know? Okay. So what does a zombie do? There's one zombie. It, it touches you, grabs you, it bites you, turns you into a zombie. Now you're a zombie. And then you go and you do the same thing and it spreads. Well, a prion disease is a protein, basically. So it's a, a microscop microscopic structure is what a protein is. It's a, you know, a, a microscopic little thing. You know, protein is in meat. So that's one of the biggest ones we know of. But it's a protein, okay? Now, this protein, when you come into contact with it, first of all, it's microscopic. It's tiny. And you can never really get rid of it either. It's so hard to kill the prion disease. So let's say you have a little bit of the prion disease, and let's say it's in a deer, and the deer is urinating or it's in its blood or its mucus. And then somehow you touch the, the deer and you somehow get its mucus and its uh, fluids on your finger or something. And then you go like this, or like in your mouth. Anyway, ah! you get this prion inside you, it goes to your brain. It goes, that, that's how most, when, when people get sick, that's mostly how it happens. I'm sorry. If you get foodborne illnesses, you probably ate someone's shit. You literally ate- No, a no I agree. It's microscopic. It's microscopic, but that's what's happening. <laughs> um, I hope I get two S-bombs. I'm sorry. I won't have any more S-bombs. You, you, you can do S-bombs here. You just can't do F-bombs. Yeah. Oh, the F is the big one. Okay. It's the F. Yeah. So this prion, you eat the prion, it goes to your brain, it sticks to your other proteins, and it makes them all turn into this messed up shape, and then it turns you into a mindless zombie. That's how this disease works. And it's spreading right now in uh, in deer, in, in, in Europe, in North America. It's called chronic wasting syndrome chronic yeah, wasting syndrome it. it's spreading in our deer and it hasn't spread to a primate but i think it's totally possible some scientists have said it that it could spread to hum a primate which is what humans are it's in so deer I think if this thing goes unchecked it's in deer right now yes sir 
Yeah, I saw yeah, some North America and Europe. Yeah, they, they, they have they, <laughs> they have uh, they have alerts about it here in New York because there mm. have been some populations in the state that have been found to have it. So it's hunters are given, but when they get their licenses, because you can because in New York you can only take so many deer in hunting season. And, uh, mm -hmm. but they're given, uh, so that you have to get your license you have to renewed every year. And they, they have been sent, um, giving out like warning signs, um, with every license, you know, the list of things to look for in deer. Um, so that if you do Terrifying. shoot one and it has these, this, uh, the, these symptoms or, you know, don't eat it. And you and, if you see a deer acting certain ways, like especially being in places where it shouldn't be, like we have so many that sometimes, I mean, we have them wandering through our yard all the time, but if, but, but they mostly do that at night or, you know, at dusk or dawn. And then during the day, during the daytime, they're hidden away. But if, if the animal is sick, it'll start just sort of wandering around in the middle of the day, in the middle of the street, and it'll be staggering and, and just, it'll be acting weird. And so if you, if you do that, if they, if a deer is like that, you're supposed to call the DEC and they will come and collect it and using hazmat suits and put it down terrifying. and test it. It's terrifying. How utterly yeah. terrifying beyond belief. Uh, to hear this news. That, that doesn't yeah. happen in Texas, but maybe one day I'll, it'll happen here too. Creepy. Well, that they're concerned terrible. about it because it could, there there have been, we've had all kinds of problems with different types of, uh, uh, not not just diseases, but, um, but like, well, <laughs> a different kind of disease happened and it happened less than a decade ago. Uh, there was, there's um, a form of fungus that at least in Europe, uh, is it, it, the 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 hibernating bats in Europe are accustomed to it. They're apparently high, um, colonized by a bacteria that makes them immune to its effects. But somebody from a somebody probably from a European country who was into bats, we don't know who it was. They probably came to the United States, came to New York because New York. Up, upstate New York, a little north of Albany, uh, had one of the largest um, colonies of little brown bats in the country. Um, there was this huge cavern that I don't, they don't even know how many millions of animals uh, were there. Uh, and it, and it was a long standing colony. Um, and they probably just went in to see it. But they brought the, this fungus on their clothing, and it it's it causes what's called a, a white nose disease. And mm. what it does to hibernating bats who are not immune to it, like none of those bats were, is it it it, it causes disturbance in their hibernating system and their hibernating mm. cycle in the winter, and mm. they wake up and they starve to death. And not within eight, 18 months, we lost. 98% of all of our migrating bats in the Northeast. Wow. And um, they base what they, and they were able to finally zero in on this one cavern as being probably ground zero where it started. 
and and they just sealed the cave. They just sealed it because it's unknown how many uh, how much of that fungus is in there. They just sealed it. Um, and you know, I can remember when I first moved here to New York. Um, every summer, one of the great um, spectacles of of summer evenings was sitting outside and watching the bats. They, they would just be all over the place, you know, going, they're little, little tiny bats, you know, I would say their bodies were maybe three or four inches long, little tiny people. And um, they're gone. Um, there are probably a few colonies left uh, because in the latter stages of this, they noticed that bat, the bats had kind of figured it out, that it was, you know, them hibernating in large groups uh, that was causing the problem. And so that some of the remaining population began to hiber hibernate in smaller groups in more isolated areas. Uh, and so that it was more difficult to track them and find them. I have occasionally seen a bat or two over the last couple summers. Uh, but I mean, that's how fast that kind of stuff can happen. And this, this uh, fungus has started spreading across the northern tier of the United States. So it's affecting bat colonies everywhere that are hibernating. Now, if they're migrating bats, it doesn't affect them because they don't hibernate. So this, <laughs> this only affects bats who hibernate. Right. But that, that's, how, that's how quickly this kind of stuff can happen. People think, oh, you know, animals adapt. Not if the thing is too fast. There's just no way to, you know. Yeah, that, that that makes me think of, of an idea I've thought about. It took me, I went through this weird circle of thought, and I, I'm still not sure if I'm done with it, but it made me think, I was thinking about humans and how humans are really good at causing disasters. Um, we're kind of agents of disaster. What kind of disasters am I talking about? I'm talking about environmental disasters, like this introduction of this uh, fungus that is killing um, bats. bats. And that's just one example. And we well, and that's pollution, just we cause... and it's and it's accidental. I mean, in that case, nobody meant to do it. They probably weren't mm -hmm. thinking about it, you know. Yeah, and so I so I was feeling down on on our species. I was like, I was like, man, we're really good at causing disasters. I was like, man, man, man. I was feeling down about it about my about it. But then I remembered one of my like uh, one of the most important things I learned in, in biology. It's called the intermediate disturbance hypothesis. Intermediate disturbance hypothesis is very basically what it means is that in order to have a healthy ecosystem like a forest or a coral reef, you have to have disasters sometimes. Sometimes. If you never have a disaster, that, that's really bad. It's really bad if you don't have a disaster. If you always have disasters, that's really bad too. But if you have disasters sometimes, it's necessary. Like an example, if you have a, a forest and you don't have any disasters, no floods, no fires, no invasive species. Eventually, the trees will grow too big, and they'll block out all the lights. They'll grow too tall. They'll block out the lights. And then this will cause no light to get to the bottom of the top, and that will kill off all the biodiversity. It will become a very unproductive, unsuccessful system. But if you have a fire or a flood every now and then, it does stop those trees from growing, and a lot of other things happen too. So basically, right. I think this applies. I think this intermediate disturbance hypothesis applies to all aspects of life. I think it applies to government, to business, to your personal life. And 
And so, um, so basically what it's saying is that disasters are necessary for a healthy system. Humans are experts at causing disasters. Could we be a good thing? Could that be one of our charms is how good we are at committing disasters? That's, where I, that's the circle I went on. Yeah, except that we're doing too many, too many all at once. That's the problem. Um, too many. Too many all so at once. It is part of the hypothesis is you can't have too many. <laughs> yeah, too many all at once. And that's because we, yeah, have this, we have this thing about not, thing about being warm and having electricity all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One thing I was wondering about lately a lot of I've been seeing a lot of uh, documentaries and shows on the dogmen situation. Uh, like I know small town monsters have that uh, Texas uh, triangle of the dogmen sightings and it had a lot of witnesses. I'm just kind of curious if you had any thoughts on those at all or anything about those. Do you want to you go first, Wham? Or I could go. No, too. you go ahead. You know more about this than I do. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I'm super interested in dog men, dog women, dog people. Oh, by the way, guys, please go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. My, if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll see my profile picture is a dog wolf. It's a, no, it's a wolf. No, no, it's a fox man. It's not a wolf man. It's a fox man. Anyway, just go to Google. I tried this out today. Go to Google. Just type in biologist, wild trees, and the first result will be my YouTube channel. Please subscribe. And look at the fox man. Anyway, so that, that being said, like dog-headed people are very interesting to me. Um, you know, we have the story of the werewolf, which is one of the oldest stories, you know, about about folklore, basically, you know, and th that sounds a lot like a dog man. I mean, werewolf, dog man, they look a lot alike. There's a lot of big stuff. So I'm like, what's going on? This is kind of like something that has definitely been there for a long time has persisted in the popular culture and now there's just reports that are happening outside of popular culture in like individual accounts that's interesting to me so i think there's something to it part of me keeps thinking that the dog-headed creatures the dogmen they're real but something keeps telling me that the dog-headedness is a disguise Something is telling me it's not like a genuine evolutionary path that something took. I don't know why. I have no evidence. It's, it's bad of me as a scientist. Just in my heart, in my deepest, darkest heart, I feel like the dog-headed appearance of these creatures is a deception. I don't know It'd why. Trickster, like trickster energy. Uh-oh, I think he froze. He's suspended in time. Oh, I don't hear anyone. He's suspended in time. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll be back, hopefully. <laughs> but but uh, he is suspended. Suspended animation. But I've wondered yeah. if you know, the trickster energy can take different forms and things. But that dog-headed thing's been around since Egyptian, you know, the their gods and all that. So it's something that's been around for a while. Yeah, I guess the way I, I think about certain cryptids like that. Oh, he, he's he's trying to figure it out here. Um, the way in which I think about certain cryptids. I mean, and I've told, I've talked about this before. I tend to think of, you know, we, we tend to lump all 
all of these kinds of things together into a category that we call cryptids. <laughs> and I don't know that all of the things that we call cryptids are really the same category of being, you know what I mean? Like, I think that Bigfoot might be its own thing. Um, and I think that, um, you know, dog, dogmen, whatever those entities are, I tend to think that they might be something else entirely. And part of the reason why we tend to categorize them as the same is that we perceive them in our perception, we perceive them as, as being anthropomorphic. In other words, or <laughs> they, they look kind of human, you know, they, they have heads, arms, legs, that kind of thing. And that's just a form that they can appear in. I have no idea whether they really are like that at all. Um, because some of the more interesting things that I have seen, <clears throat> you know, or, or accounts that I have heard are accounts by people who have seen something and experienced something, but it doesn't bear any resemblance to any of our categories about what something is, you know what I mean? And that to me is actually much more interesting because as soon as there's a lot of stories about Dogman, a lot of other people are going to see Dogman because that's what they're going to expect to see or Bigfoot or anything else. Um, so to me to have just kind of, you know, I, mean, I, I mean, if you keep cryptid as a category that's separate from, say, UFOs or ghosts or something, but then you find that the, the categories sort of mix so that, you know, like my friend Gail Beatty, you know, the, the uh, Bigfoot hunter here in the Hudson Valley that I work with, who, by the way, I'm back in touch with for a little bit <laughs> and probably going to go see her in a few days because I haven't seen her for a while. The, the pandemic has really played havoc with her health and, and uh, the health of her family. So she hasn't been able to do much until very recently, but, um, you know, she, she sees cryptids as a very, uh, you know, she really pays only attention to Bigfoot and she really sees cryptids as, as being, um, kind of a, a I don't know, a proto, they only appear to us as human because, that's the kind of form that we'll understand. And a lot of the, the stuff that she has done has shown that the, a lot of the way she investigates has shown that like the categories of, of Bigfoot and say ghosts and hauntings, all of that becomes kind of blurry. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense that you could take ghost hunting um, tools out into the field where Bigfoot is, are supposed to be and get results from it. You know, like get EVP get that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, I, I think that some of our categories are just where we, we cling to them too much. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I just tend to think that um, dog man in particular, I, I honestly think of them as a form of gin. And the reason I say that is because, like you said, there have been reports of them for, for thousands of years and they've been identified as jinn in those very places where they were also called gods for thousands of years. So, and they only recently started reappearing here or started appearing here. 
And um, while certain indigenous groups have some stories about them, um, they've only become, they've become more common here than they used to be. And so you have to ask yourself, is that a result of more people wanting to see them or is a population suddenly appearing somewhere, you know, like what the hell is going on? So it's interesting. Uh, uh, Wild tree, she was talking about them being maybe the gin, which kind of fits into what you're saying. I know there's been a lot of stories of them, like someone will mess with a burial site and bring something they shouldn't have to their house and they'll show up at their house and not go away until they put it back. Weird stuff like that. But can you hear us wild trees? Are you there? Yeah, I can hear you guys perfectly. Uh, I've been hearing. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the thing is, I'm out in the country, so I have to use my hotspot on my phone. And I was, you, I was, are you updating. on YouTube, man? I, I, just got this, I just got this video game for my Xbox called um, Avatar for Tears of Pandora. It's based on the movie, Avatar movies, talking about James Cameron. And so basically, long story short, I was installing the game because it's so big on my Xbox. And I think my Xbox might have automatically also connected to my hotspot and tried to update itself. Naughty Xbox. Naughty. Don't do that. Don't take my data. And so it's, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, a consequence of the complicated world we live in that sometimes you're are, you, are you on Usenet or something? What's your is it Usenet? Use that? I'm not even sure what that is exactly. It's so a satellite. It's a satellite in your yard that gets crappy internet. You have to pay. Oh a lot no, of money. no no no! <laughs> no, I just have an iPhone, you know, and then you could just pay some money, and then it gives you some hotspot, high speed data. That's what I've been using. But okay. anyway, um, hopefully it'll be smooth now. I do apologize for the problems. This is my first okay. live stream actually from this uh, from this site from this new location. But uh, Wham, I like what you were talking about because. Um, the idea you're talking about, which I, I've been thinking about, and I like it because it lets it, it allows me to collapse and simplify a lot of ideas in the paranormal. So it's basically just thoughts that uh, there's a lot of deception in the paranormal with outward appearances, but a lot of times the behaviors are the same. So right. a lot of times the Bigfoot behave Bigfoot behave the same way as modern day Icelandic fairies. Modern day reports of fairies in Iceland. Those creatures seem to act like Bigfoot from North America. Um, and then even UFO occupants, so-called gray aliens, sometimes they act a lot like Bigfoot. They do a lot of the similar behaviors. But they're a futuristic version, you know? Like, oh, I'm this weird paranormal creature, but I'm a futuristic version. Oh, I'm a Bigfoot. I'm the same creature, but I'm a primitive wood version. I live in the woods. Oh, I'm an Icelandic fairy. I'm the same thing, except I look like a volcanic spirit. You know, so I... That I like that idea because it allows me to collapse all these different paranormal things and say, no, 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 these aren't different categories. They're the same thing. So that's cool. We could, you could condense it, but they are somehow deceiving us. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Parents deceive their children all the time, but for good things, you know, not, not just so you don't scare them. So I like that idea. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I, and I, but I guess what my real, what my real point is in all of this is that, I mean, I understand why people like to try to categorize things because we're trying to understand it. You know, we're trying to come up with, uh, we, we tend to do that, you know, even, even if we're not scientists, you know, we try to come up with categories that we will understand and to put things into certain frameworks and, um, 
but there are times when I think you need to suspend that a little bit because you don't have enough data. And so you just have to sort of sit back and let whatever it is, the phenomena, um, sort of t lead you, lead you to more data, what, whatever it might be. Um, it's, fun it's funny because I've come to the same conclusion too. And I came about this conclusion because of exposure to other people in the paranormal. So I did the show Black Lotus for like a year or longer. I did my own show for a year or longer. I talked to dozens of people online about paranormal stuff. And I came to the exact same conclusion as you, which is basically like, I'll just look, I'm just going to repeat what you said in my own words, basically, but it's sure, the same thoughts sure. we're having. So it's like, I came to the conclusion that look, I am a scientist by definition, you know, children are scientists. So we were all scientists at some point, you know, we all are investigating our world. We want to have concrete uh, evidence-based information about the world we live in, which is basically what science is. Um, and we, and then I, I realized that we're really demanding of the paranormal. We're always like demanding, give me evidence, give me a photo, give me a footprint, give me, give me, it's so demanding. It's like, I understand. That's cool. We, why do we demand? Cause we want to understand better, but it's okay not to be demanding just to experience things like nature. For instance, you know, if you go out, sometimes it's cool just to like, you know, look at some birds in a tree and they look at you you look back at them. And you look back at you, you know, and you're just sharing a space and just co-living with this thing that's also here. Well, and you're not demanding Maybe. it sing for you. <laughs> not demanding yeah. it sing for you. And so I think sometimes that's what that's what the attitude we have to have with the paranormal is let it happen if it's gonna happen. And you know, think of it like an animal, like a like a like a wild animal. Even even look, even dangerous animals. Because like if you see a dangerous animal, you need to stay calm. You can't run away. If you get if you see a dangerous animal and you freak out, more than likely you're gonna get hurt. And so you can think of the paranormal the same way, you know. So a lot of people I understand it's happened to me. It's it's happened to a lot of people. We panic when we have a paranormal encounter. We panic and it's sometimes the most terrifying moment of our life. That's why I always try to be ready. After my paranormal experiences, I'm always ready for it to happen anytime, anywhere, because that's what happened last time. I was just minding my own business and I have this crazy paranormal experience. I'm always expecting it to happen. So when it does happen, which I think I will, if I continue to live, I probably will have at least one more intense paranormal experience. Tell, tell, us tell us the experience. What's the experience? What's the experience? Uh, you probably told it before, but I'm sure our listeners will yeah, like Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. So, like, I think it was like in 2016. Um, I was, I spent the month of December at a research station in East Texas and it's a one horse town. Turns out it's a paranormal hotspot. I mean, my whole career, I kind of developed my undergraduate career in this area of Texas. This, it's a wildlife preserve. It's the big ticket national preserve. It's got the most biodiversity of, uh, well, a lot of places, uh, probably Texas has got the most biodiversity in that region. And I studied a lot there. I would go into the swamp. I was hired by the government to do a survey, a census of insects in the area. So I got a, I got a permit that said I could go wherever I want in the park and I could grab whatever I could with my net. It was spe specific to insects. I couldn't just grab a furry little, you know, fox and squeeze them. No, I, it was just only insects. I was allowed to get all the insects. I had to document them and then give them back to the government. So I got to explore this whole area. I was in bayous. I was up to my chest in water. It was crazy. Um, 
later I found out that it, this is a paranormal hotspot. People see UFOs all the time. There's a, a large history of Bigfoot sightings here. Uh, people see uh, UFOs in the area. There's a, a road there called Ghost Road. It's specifically known for having orbs of light, which are probably plasma. There's a big sign there on either end of the road that the government put up. It says Ghost Road, you know, so it's like a tourist attraction. And I, Saratoga is very close to that Ghost Road. So I stay there um, all of December by myself in this house that the government has. Because I was a visiting scientist, I could stay there. Uh, I spent Christmas by myself. I spent New Year's Day by myself. It was amazing. Like I would wake up late, have a breakfast, go into the woods and hang out all day. There was another scientist there that was studying mussels. Mussels are like a bivalve, you know, like an invertebrate animal, like a lobster. And they're tasty. I like like them. Yeah, they're tasty, like oysters, kind of. Anyway, she was studying them. I was studying the beetles. But um, I'll say right now, it got very lonely at night. It got very scary and very lonely in the middle of the night in that house. First of all, it was freezing cold. The government put like a little padlock on the uh, thermostat, so I had no control over it. And it got freaking cold at night. It was a big house. It, it was it was so lonely and scary. The only other living thing in that big house was the roach that was living in the bathroom. And that was my only friend. And I was like, it's you and me, roach. There's nobody else here that's going to help us. <laughs> and one night I was just hanging out, and I received a phone call just in the middle of the night. And I'm pretty sure what called me were two aliens. Whatever aliens means, they were non-humans. Their voice sounded like a goblin, like an imp. Imagine like, like, like a little gremlin from the movie Gremlins and Gremlins 2 by Joe Dante. That's kind of what I imagined they looked like. That's what their voice sounded like. Their voice was not feminine. It was not masculine. You know, it, it, had, it was just like an animal type thing. It, it was talking to me. And at first, I probably sounded like an idiot. It was just one of them. I, I, I think at first, I thought it was a foreigner calling me with a wrong number. I was like, oh, this, this, this poor person is a German. He's from Denmark. You know, from Bangladesh. He's from mm-hmm. Papua New Guinea. I don't know. Some kind of weird language. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, hello, excuse me. Then I was like, nope. Okay, that's not it. Okay, this is not a human language you're talking to me. I started paying attention, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. And then its buddy came on. So then another one got on the phone call. It was like a three-way call. So the other one was very funny because it was like, obviously, it was a different creature. You know, because its voice wasn't exactly the same. It was lower pitched. And then they started talking to each other and laughing. And I felt like they were laughing at me. I was super panicky. Um, This is where I wish I wouldn't panic. This is where I diverted and I took the route that you should not take. I What I actually happened is I went into the panic mode. But this is what I wish would have happened. At that point, I wish I would have relaxed, assessed the situation. And I, I wish I could have been like, okay, calm down. Calm down, wild trees. You're fucking wild trees. Handle your business. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> I was talking about ducks. I it's said, right. you're a duck, wild trees. Is what I said. <laughs> you're a duck, and you're ducking great. And you, anyway, I was like, I, was like, <laughs> I wish I could have been like, handle your business. Just talk to these things. I don't think you've told and, this story before. <laughs> just, I wish I could have been like, just enjoy their company. Just listen to them. Invite them over. Say, hey, guys come over for a beer. I would love to talk to you. Do you want to be on my podcast? I wish I could have calmed down and did that. Because, I mean, they weren't being threatening, I don't think. They were just being weird. I mean, that's what aliens do, right? They're just well, weird. Were they calling you but from I was a ship? Alone. I don't know. Well, the, here's the thing. They might have called me from a ship because at the same time I was there, somebody filmed a UFO in, in that town and they posted it online. And then I started messaging him and I wanted to interview him. So, there was active UFO activity while this was happening. So could have been from a UFO. 
Um, this is when I started. Okay, so that's what I wish I would have done. I wish I would have been calm. This is what actually happened. What actually happened was I was like, okay, I was like, I was like, I was like, wild trees. Okay, get a hold of yourself, man. You can't let yourself get abducted. Okay. Now I've been in situations in the woods, in, in the, these exact woods, where I've been lost in the woods, and I could have easily drowned or bit, bitten by a snake and died. And I pulled it together and I got out of the woods. There was another time I got stuck in quicksand all the way up to my thighs on the side of a river. And then once again, I was like, wild trees, you know, get a hold of yourself, man. You, you're not going to die in some, in some quicksand in the middle, in the side of this river. So I, I got myself calm and I got out of it. Once again, I was being called by these two things and I might be, I might get abducted. So I said, wild trees, take care of yourself, handle the situation. Mm -hmm. I said, all right. So, so what I did is I paid attention to what they were saying. I listened closely to what they were saying. That's when I came to the realization that they were using English words to talk to me. Every word they were saying was in English, but they were not using the words correctly. It was like a weird gobbledygook English. English. Now, I've heard that I, since this happened, this is common. This, this actually happens a lot. A lot of people will see a UFO. They'll see something come out of the UFO. They'll talk to the, the, the UFO occupant, which may look like a person. And the, the person will talk to them in this type of language, which like is basically grinning English. Man, the grinning man or injured cold. The grinning man. Okay. Yeah, like injured cold. So that's what was happening. So I was like, okay. I was like, okay, I got a little bit of information. So then what I then this is what I came up with. I was like, listen, I'm going to listen to what they say, and I'm gonna I'm gonna memorize one phrase that they say, one snippet of conversation that they're telling me, and then I'm gonna memorize it and I'm gonna say it back to them. You know, it's not a great plan, but it is a plan, and that's all I came up with. Okay, and that's what I did. So I was still panicked, but I listened. And I re I remember the phrase. Now it could be it's this might not exactly be the phrase. This could be the spirit of what they told me because it's been so long. But the closest thing that I could remember is the phrase that they were saying. One phrase they said was, where's the bucket, Leroy? Where's the bucket, Leroy? So I told them, where's the bucket, Leroy? I was like, where's the bucket, Leroy? I went outside. It was pitch black, you know, super cold in December. I started yelling, where's the bucket, Leroy, into the phone? They got quiet. They kind of panicked. They thought I was weird, I guess. And then they hung up on me. And I felt a little bit of success. I was like, okay, I did it. But I wish I wouldn't have panicked. I wish he would have come over, actually. I'm, I'm thinking of the talk in Twin Peaks with the little dwarf guy. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It gets weird. <laughs> this is weird. Oh, yeah. So tell me about how much of Twin Peaks you've seen so far. Oh me, I haven't. We haven't watched that yet, but we're going to. I've seen. I started the old ones a long time ago, but I never finished them for some dumb reason. But we're gonna watch the ones you sent. But I did see the newer ones in all the movies. But we're gonna like sit down and watch all the old ones at some point yeah, soon. And with the log lady intros. <laughs> yes, with the log lady intros. But that is crazy, uh, Wild Trees. Did anybody else say anything about her? Did you say anything to anyone there? You just kept it to yourself? You know, it played out the way that a lot of paranormal things happen. I don't know why it happens this way. Like, it, you have this experience, and then you're just kind of introspective about it. Like, you don't immediately talk about it or discuss right. it. Right. But you still think about it, and then years later, you start to think that you bring it up again, and you start to pick it apart. So at the at the time, I'm sure I told a few people about it, 
I don't know. Another weird thing that happened in this area, this is a creepy story. So I, I met a local that lives on that same road. So she's a local from this, this small town called Saratoga, Texas. Actually, Saratoga, Texas is very close to Vidor, Texas. And Vidor, Texas has a terrible racist history. But I went there and it was very pleasant. I'll say that. I had a really pleasant time. And there's a lot of dogmen um, activity there. Anyway, I was close to there. Uh, I was in Saratoga. My friend lived there, and she told me this creepy story that happened to her mother and her grandmother. Okay, so my friend, who who was about my age at the time, so she was probably like 30, okay, she told me that her mother and her grandmother, a year, decades ago, they were driving on a road in that area, and they saw a UFO on the side of the road. So it was a landed UFO on the side of the road. And then they got in a conversation, and... Uh, my friend's mother was like, I want to go out to get closer. My friend's grandmother, who was in the car, said, no, I disagree. Don't. I strongly think you should not do that. Uh, then the, the mother, she actually did go out and get close to the UFO. And mm. then my friend said, that's where the story ends. Like They refused, her mother and grandmother refused to talk about what happened after that. She said that her grandmother was on her deathbed, and my friend was like, hey, Grandma, please tell me what happened to you and Mom that one day when she got out and touched the UFO, and she still wouldn't tell her. Obviously, wow. it tells me something bad happened. I don't know what it is. But... Or scary. Or really, I, don't, I, don't you know... I don't recommend it. I don't recommend anybody go near a UFO, to be honest with you. It never turns out well. Well, yeah, I mean, I I remember um you know, a couple of the stranger things that I've experienced. There are elements of the experience that I really, in a, I really can't talk about, not because they're so weird or scary, but because there was something about it that was so imbued with meaning, personal meaning, Sure. and personal revelation that I that it's impossible to express. And, and to some degree it's private, you know, it's kind of like, especially this one experience that I had, it was very clear that despite the context that in my mind, the experience was occurring in, it was also really clear that I was the only person around me that I was aware of that was having this kind of experience right then, or at least as far as I could tell. And <laughs> so whatever was going on, the meaning that was created or exchanged or, or revealed, I mean, whatever, whatever those words mean, was for me in some weird way. And um, it almost, it almost, uh, it does a disservice to the experience to try to explain it, if that makes sense. Um, you know, it's, like it's, a, it's like a personal, it's a personalization of your, experience. no, it's just, a, it's just a personal, well, a personal, <laughs> it had personal meaning um, for me that, you know, in my case, what it was, was, I mean, the, the, the most general way I can put it is that I had an experience of beauty. 
that was so profound that for just a few seconds that I, I really, you know, if I tried to describe what I saw or anything like that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make any, it wouldn't coalesce in someone else's mind as necessarily being that for them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But wow. for some reason, the just the way the events came together and how what I experienced and, and, and sort of what, what I almost felt was transmitted to me. It wasn't verbal. It wasn't even a thought like a, like an internal voice because I've had those actually in other settings, but it, it had, it was, I can't even, it was just this, it created such a sense of wonder and, and awe and um, kind of an exaltation. Um, I kind of wondered later whether this was the kind of thing that like maybe Ezekiel felt when he saw whatever he saw, you know? Um, but it's also very, like I said, very personal. So, and if you try to explain it to people, people just, they don't have a frame of reference for it. So, um, and it was clearly meant for me alone at right at that moment, at least to my knowledge, <laughs> there might've been other people who had a, some kind of experience with it too. But if we, if, if they did, we didn't share it together that we're aware of, you know? Um, it, so. it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're describing a, a form of communication. Well, I think, well, I, in a sense, in a sense, in the, if, if communication can be something that kind of goes beyond words, beyond all of our different levels of what, what we consider communication to be, you know what I mean? Um, I think the closest I, I ever came to sort of feeling that way again, so I don't know if you're familiar with. Dorothy, the, that, that short documentary that's about Dorothy Izot. Um, no, no. Uh, oh, you, you, you would need to see this. Um, okay. Hold on for a second. Let me, I, I can get the title of it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon. She has a book too. I have the book somewhere. But yeah, the uh, yeah. The, really good. I've been trying the, to find a copy of it physical, but you can't. Oh, yeah. It's out of print or it's like way, way, way expensive. Let's see here. It's like light something something. Uh yeah, hold on just a minute. I'm gonna sneeze. This lady is like. Oh, 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 oh excuse me. Bless you. Oh, <laughs> uh, this ladies in Canada had like amazing uh, UFO experiences, like the most footage and evidence ever. That's really good. There's a documentary about her. There's a book. It's about light beings or something. Yeah, just, I have yeah, it. It's, it's called something about. I can't remember beings and light or something like that. I'm trying to find my, I'm trying to find my stupid, my stupid library. My stupid library. My stuff. Here's it's my called purchases. capturing the light. Capturing yeah. the light. Yeah, yeah, capturing the light. There it is. Um. Oh, I, and if you have these, these are the three UFO um, films that I like the best. One is okay. called Capturing the Light. One is okay. called the, F the Phenomenon. Right. I've seen that and, one. And, 
and witness of the of another world. Ooh, I haven't that, seen that one, but I... that's the that's the one that um, that's the one that um, Jacques Vallée did a lot of work on. That, it's a South, um, South American case, right? South America, and the, the, those to me are the those to me are the three best. And the phenomenon I like because it it's more of a history, kind of a classic uh, uh, history of UFO sightings. But it it's very selective in that it picks really some of the best documented um, sightings where there were multiple witnesses, mm. um, where lots of research had been done. And a lot of them are not American. And um, so they're sort of different kinds of narratives, you know. And uh, um, some, uh, like two, there were two or three of the accounts that they give in that show that are just really, really good, you know, in terms of, uh, of you know, the number of witnesses, the documentation regarding it, uh, the, the incident, um, and the effects of, of the incident on people's lives, which I think to me is what's really important. But this capturing the light is just, it wasn't until I saw that movie that I realized that the same feeling is in that movie as what I experienced when I had this one experience. And um, I, you know, I, I can't describe it, but, but Dorothy does a really good job of illustrating it. That's awesome. And that's, that and that's all I, that's all I can say about it, you know? That yeah, these are all. Uh, at least um, I purchased them all on Amazon, mm -hmm. you know, Amazon Prime. I don't know whether the phenomenon, I phenomenon, is probably still available. I know capturing the light is. I don't know if Witness of Another World is still available on on Amazon. You'll have to see. But that's I purchased it, so I have it in my library. Great, awesome! I'll have to watch all those. Awesome. Um, Witness of Another yeah. World has old Jacques Vallée in it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the one. That's the one that's about him revisit with his wife, revisiting um, um, an account uh, of an of an abduction, a contact actually. Uh, it wasn't an abduction, but a contact that uh, that he had investigated when when the young when the guy was a young man. Um, one of that, my dogs. Said, oh, oh my lord! What you Go said uh, reminded reminded me of something, which is uh, something else that I learned from doing a bunch of shows. That uh, maybe a lot of people, a lot of people who don't have paranormal experience but are interested in the paranormal, they may not realize. But mm -hmm. it's the amount of human suffering that is caused by paranormal experiences, right? As a byproduct, uh, that's that's another thing that, that has to be dealt with on its own but yeah if you don't if you personally don't know anybody who's had a paranormal experience or if you never had one then it could be easy to overlook i mean i know i did i overlooked the amount of suffering that is caused by uh by people two people by the encounters they have yeah well and and even if you don't have suffering as such you it still is it still is there's a period like in the case of dorothy isat isat you know, she still had to go through years of doubt and sort of coming to terms with it. You know what I mean? It was like she went through a really dark period with it because she, you know, she wondered whether it went against her Catholic faith. 
-hmm. And, you know, just like Betty, Andreas and Luca went through a hard time at some point because she wondered if it went against her Pentecostal faith. So, you know, it's even for people who've had more uplifting experiences, it can be still very disorienting because you're basically being presented with the reality that reality is not what you think it is. And it's much bigger than we can possibly imagine. And the and reality as a whole, even though I do think we play a role in it, it's not about us. And I think that that's really difficult for most humans to deal with, you know, because we're very focused in a certain ego understanding right now of, of our importance. That's why everything seems so apocalyptic do or die kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's not that, it's not that the universe wouldn't mourn if, if we cease to exist, but it would go on without us. You know, I mean, we, I mean, we have a place here if we will accept it, <laughs> but you know, if we don't, then, you know, the planet and the universe have to go on. You know, we're important, but not that important. Her book's called Contact with Beings of Light. Contact with Beings of Light, the amazing true story of Dorothy Wilkinson. Isaiah. I have the book. I haven't read it yet, but it's pretty it looks pretty interesting. It's from it's by her. Well, it's by some other dude, but it's got a lot of pictures and stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Um uh it's interesting about yeah, humans didn't um our place in the cosmos, we think it's a bigger place than it really is. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it's hard to, it's a culture sh shock. It's, a, it's like a humanity culture shock. Because I think the majority of humans grew up thinking that we're important in the, in the big picture when we're really not. It's like, I, I hear the term save the planet. Here's a funny thing. Like everybody's talking about pollution and the planet, save the planet. <clears throat> Earth needs saving. I, I actually think that's wrong. I do I think, too. I think, I think it's hurtful to say that to the cause. Um, so yeah, I think that um, we've seen that there's been several mass extinctions on this planet. It happens a lot. It, it's it's normal. There's probably going to be. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a scientist. I don't want to say definitely, but I'll say definitely. There's going to be another mass extinction, a big one. I mean, what I mean by mass extinction is that almost everything on the planet dies, and very little life remains. And here's the thing. That doesn't hurt the planet. It seems to be natural. That's a natural part of the planet for everything to die. It's happened so many times. And you know what? The planet will bounce back. Give it 30 million years. Give it 100 million years, which, by the way, is not a long time when you're talking on the scale of planets. For Earth, that's not a long time. So we don't have to save the planet. We, what we really what we're saying is we're trying to say save the humans save our own species because we could become extinct i think human extinction is a very real possibility it might be natural most species i, I read in I, I learned in graduate school they only live about 30 million years 30 million years and right. they become extinct humans if you go back to lucy let's say lucy is the beginning of humanity lucy is a famous early human fossil right. that right. was nine million years ago so we're nine million years in it's totally possible we could become extinct. So it's not save the planet. What we're talking about is let's prevent the environment from changing so fast 
that it kills off humans. That's what we're really saying. Because if we were to die, if we don't do anything and we die, the planet's going to be fine. You know, if all the animals die on Earth, except a little bacteria, the planet is still going to be fine. There's yeah, the no planet need to panic. is fine. Planet it's normal. Is fine. That's normal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I know that drives me crazy, too. And people say, save the planet. It's like, you know, the planet isn't what needs saving. <laughs> That's not the point. You know, the point is, is that, you know, recognize our ability because of our technology, recognize our ability to, to, you know, alter our alter our own home to the point where we can't live in it. Um, I mean, eventually things would probably evolve differently for us anyway. I mean, because if you think about, you know, when humans have been, you know, at, you know how long we've been around and what the earth has been like in order for us to affect civilizations i mean even if you believe that there was an earlier phase of civilization before the last ice age which some people do i think there's a little evidence for it it doesn't really matter the point is is that human civilization the development of humans as we know them and human civilization as we know it has taken place in a very narrow geological window and, and it has required some very specific conditions in order for it to happen. And, you know, those conditions would change anyway, eventually, um, for any number of reasons. We're just changing them a lot faster. Um, so, you know. And the reason why I think people don't understand this concept is because... It, it, it has to do with scale. I think about right. scale. Well, well, and most of us only live like 60 or 70 years. So Exactly. You know. So, so we, we need to realize that like life happens on different scales than human scales. Okay. Like it's even as far as sizes, you know, so everything we think about is the size of a human. We think, okay, oh, that car is really big. It'll fit five people in it. But that's just the scale we live in. But there's all kinds of scales. Like I said, if you get a little piece of moss, there's a whole rainforest. So there's this whole other scale that you could think of, but we never do. So another th a problem is that we think about the scale of time. Uh, like uh, Wham just said, a lot of humans, if we're lucky, will live 70 years. So we think of everything in decades. We're like, oh, 10 years, two years, one. You know, we don't think about things in the hundreds or thousands. And the problem is that this planet, our home, operates in the billions of years. You know, the planet is thought to be two billion years old. So what, what may seem like bad it, when we think about it in our scale, on our time scale, it could be fine if we think about it in the scale of the planet. If we start talking about tens of millions of years, a lot of the things that happen seem inconsequential. And they're really not that bad of a deal. They're only bad because we're looking at it under the, the scale of humanity, which is like 70 years, basically. It's definitely fascinating. What do you think about some of this pole shift things that they're always heating up or that Schumann resonance and stuff? They're always saying it's going off the charts and pole shift. And I mean, it's happened before. We know that. But I mean, it's you would think it would already have happened by now on some level, like something crazy with the plates shifting and stuff. 
Well, I I haven't looked too deeply. I don't so I can't I I can't comment on this superficially, but I haven't looked too deeply. I've been seeing articles come up that say that the sh the poles are going to shift, North Pole and South Pole. Uh, the whole planet is a giant magnet, which has a uh, two poles, just like a real magnet. So that's what we're talking about: magnetic poles, which are in the North Pole and the South Pole. They're going to switch. I've also been reading articles about. Um, uh, like uh, ocean currents, you know, ocean mm -hmm. currents collapsing, all kinds of things that are happening um, and they're being modified. And so, like I just said, I, I think that's normal. This, this stuff happens all the time. Um, when you look at it in the scale of the planet, when you look at it in the scale of hundreds of million years, it's nothing new. It happens. But when you bring it down to human scale, it does become a bigger deal because I think what's happening with these different changes is that, number one, they're normal. There's nothing wrong with them, but they can be destructive to whoever happens to be living at that time. So I do think that these things will probably change and it'll at the very least, it'll drastically change some aspect of our life. So our life will not stay the same the way it is. Something will change dramatically. We'll have to adapt to it. So that could be very bad for you. A lot of people could take that negatively because it's a big change. But if you look at it in the large scale, it's normal. It happens. It just so happens we're alive during this time. So I do think changes are coming. Like one thing that I think is pretty obvious that we should be doing, and a lot of people do do it, but let's say there's a lot more flooding now in certain parts of the country. So I think we just need to build the houses like five feet off the ground in those areas. Now that's a, a shift we're going to have to take. You know, we didn't used to have to do that. We didn't used to have to build every single house and building five feet off the ground. Now we do, or we will have to, and it's going to cost more money and it's going to cost more time and it's going to change the way we live, but I just think we're going to have to change drastically. I think that's one example of different ways that humanity is going to have to change um, because of these changes that are happening in the environment, like you said. All right. All right. It's definitely uh Crazy times. This winter seems like one of the coldest here in Florida, and that's been. There was one time there's tornado warnings bad, and it's really bad, like freezing cold and tornado warnings at the same time. That was the first I think for me here. That oh, but see that that happens in Kansas all the time, it, and it hasn't been that cold here. I mean, it's been, you know, we've had a few cold days, but I, th I think you know we've probably only had. We haven't had normal snowfall, not even one instance of normal normal snowfall, probably in three years here. And um, let's not say we won't have it again, but you know, it's just we haven't had it in a while, and uh, and it hasn't gone into the single digits yet this winter which for upstate New York is very unusual. So it's strange. It seems colder down here. So it just affects different things differently. But oh yeah. It, it, it just means, I mean, what, what climate change means, but on an everyday basis, I mean, there are many mechanics that can explain this, but what, 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 what it means in real terms is that, um, It'll be cold in places where it shouldn't be, and it'll be hot and play, warmer in places where it shouldn't be. <laughs> that's yep. that's what that means. You know, that's what yep. it will do. It's funny because because there will be positive effects to climate change. We talk about all the negatives, but you know, there will be some positives. There'll be some areas of the country that get a lot more sunlight, which will allow us to grow more food there. 
you know, sunlight isn't always bad. We could use it for all kinds of cool stuff. So um, I think the problem is that the overall it'll be more negative stuff than good stuff. But that's not to say that there will be not be good things. And right. it'll probably be it'll be selective too. It's not like everybody's gonna benefit. Some people will benefit more than others from climate right. change. I mean, like New York, you know, one of the ways in which New York will benefit is that, um, you know, we're slated to to not to not really have problems with persistent droughts that much. Okay. The, for, the, for, the forecast is that um, because we get rain from several different directions and we have a lot of groundwater in the state that's already present. So, I mean, we, we will get droughts on occasion, but it won't be like the kinds of droughts that they get in, the, in California, you know, where, where it's like, you know, with a 5,000 year drought or something. Um, but it's going to be warmer overall. It means it will change the way the forest is. Uh, you know, parts of the forest may go away. In fact, there are huge swaths of forest in the Adirondacks that are dying. Mm. And... Um, so what the problem there is, um, is learning how to kind of cope with that. Because the when you have, this whole area has had from, from the Hudson Valley up to the Adirondacks, has had some issues with deforestation in the past. Um, when when uh, New York was first settled, um, first colonized, there was so much forest here that um, it was used to basically fuel to make um, charcoal and and fuel mm -hmm. for the for the cities, you know, for New York and um, Boston and Philadelphia. And so um, most of the forest, with I th 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 think the exception of maybe three little patches um, from the Hudson Valley all the way up to the Adirondacks, most of the forest was clear cut at least twice, and then grew back each time. So the forest that you see now is not the ancient primeval forest, except for some areas of the Adirondacks that are very remote. Um, and they've designated them as wilderness areas where, where um, enshrined within the state constitution, no one can go and develop that. It, they're just, they're left alone. There are no roads, there's nothing right. in them. People, you have to take your own crap in and go out. You know what I mean? It's like, there's, it's not developed at all. There are no campgrounds. It's basically just leaving, leaving the people there, you know, the bears and everything there. Um, but as a result of that, there's, there was a problem with erosion. And so um, the, you know, I mean, forests aren't known to have great topsoil anyway, but, um, what topsoil was there has largely been eroded by that process. And so the, there's, there are only a few places in at least Southern um, and Eastern New York where you could grow things. Now there are still some thing, there's still some places out in Western and Northwestern New York where you could. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but during the, uh, the early part of the, the, the nation, you know, um, when there were 13 um, colonies and then states, New York was the breadbasket of that whole of of those 13 colonies, and had a very developed agricultural system. 
Um, and, you know, some of that agriculture could be brought back, could be done again, especially if it gets warmer here and does get a little wetter in some places like they anticipate that it will. I mean, I can certainly attest to that it's very wet here now, that we don't get much snow anymore. But we get tons of rain. We've had terrible problems with flooding. Um, and it, it, we just haven't figured out a way to manage that water yet, you know. Um, but so, you know, New York could start growing stuff again at some point because it'll probably be warmer. It'll change the growing season, obviously. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting with water because, like, I understand it's a problem. Everybody's like flooding; it's a problem. Too much water, but then at the same time, I think about, you know, fresh water is good. You know, a lot of people are dying. Oh, it's from good. Food. Yeah, we it's do a good. lot of good with fresh water. So it's like we just got to think about it. How do we handle this incredible influx of fresh water? It could be a blessing if it's handled correctly. Yeah, but it needs to be handled correctly, and and erosion needs to be managed in some way. Because yeah. <laughs> um, we don't, we really have a problem with. Um, topsoil because we don't have a whole lot here so um you there are some areas by some of the large creeks some there are some highland areas um that are kind of alluvial basins for um old rivers that used to run you know before you know right after the 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 may the ice age was was ending here which ended about ten thousand years ago um, right. and so uh, this whole area, you know, all the way from the Adirondacks down to where I, well, actually down to where New York city is, this whole area was under a, the Wisconsin ice sheet. And so as, as that melted, um, you know, it left behind various kind of debris fields and, and different kind of new rivers, um, that later then changed and stuff. But there are some alluvial places where the soil is pretty good. Uh, there's a place not too far from me that are called the Hurley Flats. And they were called, they are called that because when the colonists came, um, they're sort of alluvial plains that are sort of open to the sky. And, and the indigenous people, the Muncie, they maintained them in a certain way. And of course they grew corn, but they were facing the sun and the sky in such a way. And of course, because of the way in which the 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 milpa style that they that they grew things in was such a fertile way of of growing uh, things that they were able to get two crops of corn a year from that soil wow. even with the relatively short growing season that they had at the time so it's quite possible to grow some good stuff in some parts of the state you know it's just you have you'd have to it'd have to be wise use of of agriculture and of water resources. We have a lot of water though. You just need to know like where to make sure to put it and drain it and things like that. But probably filter it too, clean it up a little bit. We don't have that much trouble with that um, actually. Not I mean with water sitting on the surface, obviously. But a lot of the water that you get from the ground here has already found its way through um, limestone deposits. So it's pretty clear. Okay, nice. Like that, like the water that we use in the house comes from an 80-foot well, and it's perfectly fine, just as is.
it's hard. It's a little hard, but it's not so hard. You can't, it just tastes, it tastes like really good mineral water. Nice. Uh, you don't need to treat it at all. So, and that's not uncommon even yet, even still. So, you know, New York's really rich in that kind of way. It's just that, that you know, you have to, you have to, um, those resources have to be managed appropriately. So. So uh, I know we were talking about the, uh, the situation where you had the phone calls that seemed uh, oh, alien, yes. alien in nature. I know I've had a lot of experiences where I've wondered if I've been taken. I, part of me thinks I haven't, but then there's always that when they've come that close to you and you see ships over particular houses, or there's been times where I've seen flashing lights in the windows and it seemed like it was some kind of being with headgear. I mean, there's things that have happened that, to where you, you wonder, you know, did they take me? And I don't know, but I've sure as hell seen some crazy up close stuff that makes you paranoid if they have or not that seems like they might have <laughs> that's the worst part of it but did you ever feel feel like that at all or were you pretty head clear that they did not take you <laughs> uh well it's interesting so that time that time i don't know what happened um but there was something else that happened to me that makes me think i might have i may have been abducted and it happened earlier uh so this thing let me see. So this thing I said it happened in 2006, the last story. And how many years ago was that? 2006. So it was like eight years ago, I guess. Okay. So eight years ago. And then this other thing happened to me around 2000. So 24 years ago. Okay. So what I'm about to tell you, it, I don't know if it's real. There's a high possibility it was a dream, just a really realistic dream I only had once in my life. Which, you know, when you start adding up all these qualifiers, it kind of sounds like, what are we talking about here, you know? So it's either a dream I had that was hyper-realistic, and I've never had a dream like it again or before in my life, or this really happened. <laughs> One of those two options. There could be others, but those are the two that it could be. What happened was I was like 19 years old. I was my first year of college, still living with my parents. I was taking a nap in the living room uh, on the couch during the day. Uh, I woke up and I looked to my side of the couch. You know, the couch was propped up against the wall. I was lying on the couch and I looked to the side and I thought I saw two little kids standing there. And I thought they were my siblings, which were little kids at the time. And then I kind of like focused my eyes because I just woke up and I looked closer, you know, because I was like, why are you standing here next to me while I'm sleeping? It's very creepy of you if it was children. And then I, what I, what I remember is I focused my eyes and it looked like there were three uh, classic gray aliens. So it wasn't two children. It looked like three little gray aliens. They looked like they had little spacesuits on. Uh, their skin was very light, light gray. This is the, one of the most important things that this is very important. And I'm very thankful for this is that they were incredibly cute. They were not scary. They were cute. Which I was like, oh my, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. They, were, they look cute. They, they, they weren't horrifying to me. So yeah, they, that's, you know, like imagine Disney, Pixar Disney designed a gray alien. <laughs> you know, that's what it looked like. Very cute. Big, big almond eyes. You know, they, they moved around like really delicately, like children, you know, very light and floaty. You know, they, they, their whole vibe was like a child. 
uh, which I've heard other people say before. I mean, there's different varieties of gray aliens, but I got this one. So yeah, they were kind of hovering over me, which it makes me feel like I was I about to get abducted? Did I just get abducted? No, that's weird. Why are you hovering over me like this? And then they realized. Then they realized that I was awake, and they looked at me and they got scared. They're like, "Oh, he's awake," you know. And they ran away down the hallway. So they ran, yeah, down the living room, and they turned and they went down the hallway. And then I went back to sleep. And then I woke up. At the time, I was nineteen. You know, we're talking about like, what do you do after a paranormal experience? Well, after this, I mean. I probably had a date that night with my girlfriend. I probably had a test coming up. You know, I probably had a video game or a buddy I wanted to go hang out with, you know, a busy college life. So I, I kind of just filed it away in the back of my head. I think my immediate thought, my immediate thought was probably like, let's just call that a dream. That's what I said to myself. I was like, let's call that a dream so we can move on with our life. Um, But like I said, looking back at it, it was super realistic. And like, I've just never had a dream like that before that felt the way it was and it had all those elements. And also I wasn't scared. You know, a lot of people say sleep paralysis. Like I have had sleep paralysis. Sometimes I still have sleep paralysis. I'm very familiar with it. It did not feel like that at all. You know, I didn't feel like a weight on my body. I didn't feel panicky. I didn't feel like I had trouble breathing and I was very relaxed. I was just like, you know, so. Were they your, were they your alien hybrid children from your man seed? Well, that's funny you said that because I was thinking I was like, I was like, I, I never thought that they could be my children. But what I have thought about was like, what I thought about was like, wait a minute. A lot of times these abductions are because they want to get a, 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 a human gametes, basically, uh, which means sperm or eggs from a female. And then you want to use them to breed <laughs> uh, hybrids. That's what the story is. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's the story of Jesus. Uh, the Christian uh, Jesus from the Bible, he's basically a hybrid between an alien and a human. Because uh, God created, in the Christian Bible, God created the planet, which to me, by definition, makes him an extraterrestrial. <clears throat> I mean, if you if you created the planet, you're not from the planet because you created the planet. So you're just by definition, you're an extraterrestrial. And so it's so if, if Jesus is the son of God, an extraterrestrial and a human, Mary, that's a hybrid, alien-human hybrid. And that's what people are believing and celebrating on Christmas, the birth of an alien and human hybrid. It's just weird. That's what people are celebrating. And that's what people say happen in abductions that we're we're part of that process. But anyway, I haven't thought that those were my children. What I did think was like, what if he took my sperm? Like I said, this happened 20 some years ago. So what if he took my sperm and somewhere out there, I have a hybrid kid. That's what I have thought about. It's like they'd be in their 20s. It's like, what would I do if I met them? You know, <laughs> if I met them, you know, uh, supposedly they could like read minds and stuff. So I'd be like, hey, let's hang out. I'm so glad I get to I got to meet you, my hybrid child. Uh, let's go to the let's go to the casino. I want you to read the minds of people. And I'm going to make a little money. And then my kid will be like, OK, yeah, let's do that. And then we'll, we'll do that for like a month. We'll become millionaires. And my kid will be like, hey, do you want to do anything else? Do you want to go fishing? Uh, do you, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. I definitely want to catch up. Let's go back to the casino some more, though. I want you to read some more minds for me. Let's just do that. And I feel like I'd be comfortable with that relationship uh, with my hybrid child. So I have thought yeah. about that. Yeah. Have you got into Resident Alien any? There's, I know it started back up. I haven't watched it yet. But I, I like it. Alan Tudyk is great in that Resident Alien. Nice. Have you seen it, Resident Alien, the show? Uh, I've just, I'm just barely, I'm a little familiar with the title, but I have not it's, seen it. Uh, it's from a comic, I believe it's Dark Horse, but it's basically, uh, it's called Resident Alien, 
I know it's on Sci-Fi. I think it's on Peacock and the newest. Uh, I haven't watched the newest ones, but I've seen the other two seasons. But basically, it's, you know, Alan Tudyk is uh, like a, a gray alien who takes the form of a doctor in a town, and it, it gets oh. crazy. Lin- Linda Hamilton's in it. She's like works for the government and is evil, and it's pretty good. It's funny too. It's it's uh, it'll surprise you. It's a good one. I think Anything? I saw the previews too. I think I saw the like little previews for it when the season was starting, and I thought it was very funny. It's good. Uh, Alan Tudyk is pretty good. He was in Tucker and Dale versus Evil and a bunch of different stuff. But uh, uh, that's another good one. That's pretty pretty different. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Right, I've heard of that one too. I think that was big when I was in college, about twenty some years ago. That's when it came out. About these dudes that these teenagers think they're like killer hillbillies like texas chainsaw massacre but they're like really just like two normal dudes that just look like rednecks and it's like it deals with a lot of fears and stereotypes but he's one of the the brothers in it nice i just want to get everybody an update on my data situation so i was correct my sneaky little xbox auto logged on to my hotspot which i got just for this conversation and it managed to download 4.49 gigabytes of Dying Light 2 Stay Home, the Reload Edition, an update for a video game. And oh, it tried wow. to download, it downloaded 31.67 megabytes of Elden Ring. And so it did steal about half of my data. And the other thing that I found out, another update, so this kind of pisses me off. So I, I tried to install Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, and it completely installed, right? But then... It won't let me play the video game unless I update it. And the update is 22.28 gigabytes. So that to me is anti-consumer because it's like, look, I bought the video game and you're telling me that I I can't play it just off the disc. I have to have an internet connection and I have to download 22.28 gigabytes. Anyway, that's just the update. Yeah. My nephew plays that. It's supposed to be pretty decent from what I've heard. I haven't played it yet. It's supposed to be like Far Cry, but with Avatar aliens. Yeah, exactly. And it's supposed to like it's supposed to push the graphics a lot. That's the reason I got I want to stream it on my channel, Biologist Wild Trees on YouTube. I want to start streaming this video game. And yeah, I heard the graphics are good. Yeah, it's supposed to be a clone of like the Far Cry series. There's been so many. But here's the thing. I haven't really played any Far Cry games. So the formula is not going to be, you know, old to me. Yeah. You know, it's it's old to the people that have been playing all the Far Cry games. But to me, it'll seem fresh. There's a few that are coming out. I'll get them one year. But there's a South Park Snow Day that's kind of like an online kind of thing where it's like they're fighting. It's from the same dudes that did the Stick of Truth and the Fractured Butthole. You know the the turn based ones that came out, but the another one's the Killer Clowns from Outer Space game that's supposed to be coming out. That, I'm interested in that. Where, oh yeah, the, yeah, that's gonna be a good one. That's gonna be on Xbox and everything, but that's coming out in June or something. Now well, this game, this game was announced in December, I think, and I don't know if you got a, if you looked at it, but it was a trailer, and it was I think it was like it wasn't gameplay footage. It was like pre record. It was like you know animation. But anyway. I think the game is called Jurassic Park Survivor. And it's a game, it's a survival game that takes place in Jurassic Park from 1993. And it takes place, I think, right after the island is evacuated. You're one of the scientists, and you, I guess you get left behind after that first movie. And so you get to go all over the park, and you get chased by raptors and T-Rexes. It looks incredible. Uh, and it's old school Jurassic Park, too. The park from what, what, is that, what is that one called? I think it's called Jurassic Park Survival. Is that like a RTS kind of old one? 
And there's no, one so, old RTS one. No, this is a brand new game that's coming. It just got announced. Oh, okay, okay, so okay. I think it's a first-person survivor game, like Resident Evil or like Alien yeah. Isolation, but with Jurassic Park and dinosaurs. Some of those survival games get crazy. Like they really teach you what to do when you're out there. Like you gotta do crazy shit all the time. Like find the flint to start the fire and craziness like that. But yeah. But the Avatar, just the movies in themselves kind of seems like I don't really like to get into disclosure and crap, but it just seems like government spooks trying to soften us for aliens. Some of these James Avatar, James Cameron Avatar movies are pretty pretty wild i mean there's something to all that where are they getting all this stuff from you know the i saw the newest one but i haven't, I haven't played the game but i saw the i've seen the avatar movies yeah well it's funny you say that because i mean like so avatar for instance i've seen interviews with james cameron and he directly says that there is a message behind the the movie the message is about you know the environment saving the humans basically like you know being better to the planet um <sighs> And so he, so there is that message. So there could be other messages. That's just the message he's allowed to talk about. But he specifically says there is a purpose behind these movies. They're trying to teach the world something. The other thing that really makes me think about what you just said is the Marvel movies. You know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which started with the Iron Man movie. Like, if you follow those movies, there's a there's a big movie called Avengers, the first Avengers movie. That movie was a really big worldwide sensation. Lots of people saw it. What's interesting about that movie, that movie is about alien disclosure. What happens in that movie is that the Earth realizes there's aliens because they invade New York City. That's the climax of Avengers, the first Avengers movie. And then after yeah. that movie, it all happens in the post-disclosure world. Every movie after the original Avatar takes place in a world that is not only post-disclosure to extraterrestrials, but it's post-disclosure to time travelers, interdimensionals, crypto-terrestrials. So it's interesting that these are movies that are very popular. The whole world is seeing them, and it is kind of softening us up to the idea. Because in those movies, life goes on like normal. You see, like regular people who aren't superheroes, they still go to their jobs. You still eat macaroni and cheese. You know, they still take their dog for a walk. They do everything, but they live in a world with crypto terrestrials. Which, if you watch, uh, you watch like. Black Panther, if you watch Black Panther, the first two movies, that's a really good example of a breakaway society, which a lot of people think is true. It's also a crypto-terrestrial society. It's like a, a hidden, yeah. advanced world within our world, which Richard, Richard Dolan thinks it's real. Yeah. So anyway, I, I do think I think these movies do are doing some kind of... Have you seen movie. Jules? J-U-L-E-S. Jules. No. You put it on your list and see it however you can. It's got Ben Kingsley, an alien crashes and messes up his azaleas, and he has to go to the town hall and oh, tell them. Oh, I've seen a preview of this. It's really good. Yeah. It's a little surprise. It's like the new ET. It's it's Hell soft yeah. horror too. It's like a comedy. It's it's not like you know. There's some weird stuff in it, but and these old people and him, they all hide the alien in the neighborhood, and the alien looks pretty weird. It's like this little weird blue alien, kind of like a gray, but weird, but it's actually good. Ben Kingsley goes before the town hall, and he's like, an alien crashed on my azaleas, and they all look at him like he's insane. <laughs> and it turns out the alien really did crash on his azaleas. But he plays kind of like an old crazy dude, but he's not. It's really happening, but he may have some dementia stuff. He's going through with his daughter and stuff, but it's good. The Resident Alien Jewels, those are must watches for the alien stuff. Really good. But we're down to one minute. What do you want to plug? Give me some some links, linkage. 
All right. Well, yeah, my main thing, like I said, is uh, I'm trying to get 500 subscribers. I think I'm at like 460. So I'm really close. But basically, I have a channel uh, where I live stream video games and I talk about, you know, like biologist reacts to UFOs, biologist reacts to abductions. Um, so I do talk a lot about paranormal. I interview people. Um, so I would love it if people subscribe to that. So all you have to do, like I said, is go to just go to Google. Everybody knows Google or go to YouTube, type in biologist, wild trees. That should be the first channel that pops up uh, on Google or on YouTube and just click on it. I got a fox man, not a dog man, but a fox man is my profile avatar. And yeah, just subscribe. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. All right. Well, we appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. And you're listening to United Public Radio, 107.7 FM, New Orleans. Mark Eddy uh, has uh, Tilly Treadwell next Friday. Wham will be there. Uh, Mandela Effect, Paranormal Investigations, and I forget what else. But I haven't been feeling that great. So thanks, y'all, for carrying the show. We had a COVID thing. I don't know if I have it, but I damn sure felt weird. But, but, but hopefully I don't get no full-blown uh, C. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Wild Trees. Thanks, Wham. Everybody have a good weekend. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Let me end this thing. There we go.